our scripture lesson for the day. As we're finishing out the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, we did the first half during the sunrise service last week. This is the second half, starting with verse 19, going through verse 31. <coughs> Reading in the New Living Translation, that Sunday evening, now this is the evening of resurrection morning, okay? That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. That standard greeting that's still said today, Shalom Aleichem, peace be upon you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, Nicknamed the twin, if you've wondered what Didymus means, was not with the others when Jesus came. Now they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he, re but he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side where the spear was thrust. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. Eight days later. Don't miss that. The disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God and let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And please be seated. You know, the big news in this passage should be Jesus is alive. The disciples finally see him for themselves. 
Not only that, Jesus breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And maybe we don't easily catch uh, the word play here. But remember, in the Hebrew, the word for breath and the word for spirit and the word for wind are all the same word. So whenever John is writing, now you notice that he starts off with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's another very important book in the Bible that starts in the beginning, being Genesis, which is the story of the creation. And at that point in the story, there's a certain point whenever God breathes life into the man that He has created, and he became a living soul. You remember that? So here at the beginning of John's Gospel, John makes the point, in the beginning... Okay, so we should be thinking about Genesis. And at the end of all of this, on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus breathes upon the disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's like John is saying that you know of this earthly creation, this first creation, if you will. Um, but this is the story of the new creation that has begun in Christ Jesus. And that's part of the reason I'm sure that Paul speaks of Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. If some of y'all wonder what first fruits are... Um, Probably nobody does. If you're a farmer or if you've had any uh, fruit trees or especially grapes, this is kind of great country, isn't it? You go out checking to see when the harvest is about to come in. It's always nice. My dad had this uh, scuppernong muscadine grape arbor. is a little one. Boy, those things get out of control fast if you don't weed them. Mm. But we, I remember one year walking out there and looking and there was one, only one, but there was one that was ripe. So what did I do? Of course, I picked it, popped it in my mouth, you know. Mom and Dad had wanted it. They could have gotten out there first. But what that indicated was the rest of the harvest was about to come in because the first one had already ripened. Well, that's an uh, expression that uh, the Apostle Paul uses to talk about Christ. And John is right in line with this. And that's wonderful and that's amazing and I could do a whole sermon on that, but we have someone in this story who steals the show. Doubting Thomas. You know, in the uh, <clears throat> Oak Hill Bulletin, I'm the one who does those, although I, I must say I crib a lot off of Carter K's. Copy and paste is a wonderful thing, you know. I found a little cartoon. Here's Thomas. All I'm saying is, we don't call Peter denying Peter. We don't call Mark ran away naked Mark. So why should I be saddled with doubting? And that might be Jesus or Peter or Mark standing there saying, you know, I see your point, Thomas, but really it is time to move on. <laughs> Doubting Thomas. I kind of feel a little sympathy for him. He wasn't there. He didn't see. 
And I don't know about you, but I'd call our age uh, for probably the past several hundred years in the West a skeptical age, wouldn't you? I know I've been trained in a little bit of skepticism. I was trained in that by watching TV. And new floor floor, it is the best product you will ever buy. Oh my goodness. Evidently, Kimmy likes it. I'm skeptical when I watch people talking about current events. I'm always trying to figure out what their spin is, don't you? Isn't it a struggle sometimes whenever you're wanting to see the whole picture, but you know that people on whatever side are just presenting you their preferred set of the facts? They're always leaving others out. It kind of makes you skeptical. So I kind of feel for Thomas. But I'm grateful on how Jesus responded to him. He didn't start out with the lecture. He started out with a version of how he called all of his disciples. Come and see. Come here and see. And then he gave what we could consider the final beatitude which is blessed are thee which we have in the sermon on the mount which we have in one of the the letters in the new testament but this is the one that comes latest in any of the gospels blessed are those who believe who have not seen or maybe not seen yet i hear people in the culture and I've met many who say, I just don't know. I just don't think I can believe in God any. No. I remember being in undergrad. I was in a physics class. And one of the young men there looked at me. I was a young man at the time. said, you know, I, the more I see physics and learn more about this, the less I believe that there could be a God. And I said, you know, it's funny. The more I see, the more I see it pointing towards God and giving God glory. But there's reasons people say, well, I, I don't believe, but I'm not too sure it's just the head questions. And I'll give you an example, Mom, if you'll forgive me and correct me if I'm wrong. My Uncle James. His father was not someone who would win Best Parent of the Year. I believe that he had what is now called a substance abuse problem. To give you an idea, how, how old would James be now? In his 90s? Yes. If he were still with us. Mm -hmm. His dad was a hard-drinking, hard-living man. He was hard on those kids. You never said it, Mom, but it's implied to me from what... Your mother, he's my great uncle, that your mother told you that their father solved a lot of things with a belt. Well, his father was saved, was changed, was transformed by the presence of Christ, and he was called to preach. And as it was relayed to me, James's conversation with his father when his father was trying to witness to him was always some variation of, okay, dad, 
you had all your fun and then got religion. I'm going to have all my fun and get religion. But if you asked him, he would say that, oh, there's, there's no proof that God exists. There's a lot of proof that it doesn't, at least at one point in his life. We don't really... James is no longer with us. There's a big question mark because there were signs that he was softening in his later years. But what's interesting to me and what breaks my heart is that his problem, even though he would present it as an intellectual one, wasn't a problem in the head. It was a problem from the heart and from that broken relationship with his earthly father that led him into that path. I know some, it might just be <laughs> the young person's view of why oh, I'll do that later. James did say this, I'll have all my fun. I'll have my good time. Some people, especially we do when we're young, don't we see God as the one up there wagging the finger saying no. <laughs> Although when I think of that, I think more of the parent rising in alarm as they see their child running out to get the ball in the middle of the road. And they're saying, no! And the child just thinks that's mom and dad, they're always trying to control me. But there's others. And these are the ones that my heart really breaks for. These are the ones who have been burned they feel like God has let them down or at the very least that God's people have let them down. These are the burned, the wounded, and I think Thomas might fit into that category. That kind of skepticism comes from pain. Now we talk about doubting Thomas because Jesus used the word instead of faithless in many translations is do not doubt but believe. So doubting Thomas has been hung around this twin's neck. And we imagine, well, he had all of these doubts. He's the patron saint of skeptics or something. But I think even with his statement, I'll have to see it to believe it. I think the issue wasn't not seeing with his eyes as much as it was I have been hurt, I have been wounded, and I don't know if I can believe. I don't know if I can trust again. Let me ask you something. Um, you ever had your heart broken? Come on, a lot of you have went to high school before. Be honest now. Ever had your heart taken? Not just broken. Has ever, anyone ever torn out your heart and stomped it into little bitty pieces in front of you? Oh, that's a joy when that happens, isn't it? Once upon a time, <laughs> once upon a time back before I met Lori, I dated a preacher's daughter. After that ended, I made a few jokes about preacher's daughters. And God looked down from heaven and laughed. You know, pray for me as my daughter gets married. Pray for her as she gets married. Pray for her, my, my new son-in-law, as he takes on a Lowry girl. <laughs> I 
I've had my heart broken. You know, the hardest thing it took me longer than it should to tell, to say three little words to Lori. What were those words? I love you. Yeah. Why, why did it take longer than it should? Because my heart had been ripped out and stomped in front of me. Yeah. Because I was afraid to be vulnerable again. I was afraid to put my heart on the line again. I was afraid. And at that point in time, I was just a little afraid that when this sweet, wonderful girl saw the real me, that she would say no. Some of y'all have been there, right? I think that's a part of where Thomas was. Now, until I see, I won't believe until I get to touch, until I get to see with my own eyes and feel with my own hands, I will not believe. Where could that have been coming from? The first thing is, well, I can imagine is I've been so hurt I can't believe because I can't make myself trust. And they're all saying this to me. Another part might have been, well, why didn't he wait until I was here? If he's really alive, why didn't he show himself to me? And for eight days, Thomas was in that. He was grieving and this was too good to be true. And he probably played that little game. Well, if he really loved me, he would have shown himself to me. By the way, in any close relationship, it is a very bad idea to ever say, if you really loved me, you would fill in the blank. That usually doesn't help the situation, does it? You know, nobody's raising a hand, but I, I think I hear a few memories being shuffled through as we imagine that. So I understand Thomas. And I even, I understand Christ coming and saying, and, and letting him wait the eight days. Dear Lord, how many of us have learned lessons from the Lord as we have waited upon the Lord? But what is fascinating to me more is blessed are those who believe who have not yet seen. And I add the yet because as Bill Gaither's song reminds us, our faith will end in sight. Now there are those who really have an intellectual hurdle they need to get over. And by the way, if you know one of those or are one of those, I would love to sit down and talk to you because usually those are the people who are saying, I'm just wanting to find the truth. And they're already halfway there if they're saying, I'm searching for the truth. They've already come out of the realm of, well, you have your truth, I have my truth, let's just not even talk about it. They're actually on this statement, I I can't just believe I have to know if it's true. I'd love to talk with them. But in my experience, a lot of these head reasons devolve down to broken hearts more than minds. I mean, the number one issue that most people seem to have with the gospel 
is the problem of pain and suffering. Yes, they say that's a head problem, but that's a head problem all about the hurt that we experience in life. So what does it mean though when Jesus says, stop being faithless, stop doubting, believe. Now, just like with the kids, you know, you can believe. I can say, I believe it's going to rain and LJ just wait a few days. That'll happen. I can say, you know, I believe that airplane is safe. I can say, I believe that if I put this parachute pack on my back, that I can jump out of an airplane and land safely. Intellectually, I believe that. But don't bother inviting me to go skydiving. Because although I understand that, it really isn't down in my soul that I'm ready to trust that backpack with my life as the ground rushes up to meet me. Okay, there's, and I believe there's, there's more than that. That's the belief of the skydiver in the backpack. That's, that's an amazing belief. But there's something more than that that comes down to when one person looks at another and says, you know, I believe in you. I trust you. I trust you with my heart, with my life. I trust you. In other words, it's a whole different type of belief if I say I believe that we're going to arrive safely versus if you ask me, do you believe in your wife? I'll say, oh my goodness, yes. You know I heard what she is doing? <laughs> well, I can't believe that because I believe I know her too well. Unless it involves chocolate. Anything about chocolate, all bets are off for that girl. Or Starbucks, just saying. See, belief in Christ is that personal kind of belief that starts with this realization that this love is real. This person is real. This is something I can trust and it moves to trust. And then over time, it permeates your life, the very center of your being. Your identity changes in some way because of that belief, because of that faith, because of that trust. And that is very neatly summed up in Thomas's exclamation, my Lord and my God. Because whatever we worship tends to define our lives. Those strongest connections tend to make us who we are. And like I said, I do love talking with those who have the intellectual questions. I, I don't get to do that enough. I, I, I love hauling out what I learned in that undergraduate school and it's interesting for me. But you know, again, even if you have someone who says, well, I can prove with all of my learning that uh, God is not real, ultimately, I do think it comes down at least to 50% for some much more to questions of hurt and of brokenness. Because for Thomas... And maybe for many that are saying, well, I just don't think I can buy this. 
this last beatitude could effectively be translated. Blessed are those who are willing to believe, even though their heart has been broken. And when it comes down to that, then that implies that what our primary purpose is, it's not necessarily answering these kind of questions. It's more answering these. It's the question that we need to each answer. Will we be the ones to assure this other person that God in Jesus isn't just up there throwing things at humanity. The whole message of the gospel comes down to God coming down, standing with us, enduring unjust suffering, and transforming that experience into resurrection. Not only for Himself, but also for us in this life and in what will come after bringing that kind of healing into our brokenness, our fallenness, and turning it around and saying, yes, you can be a part of changing this world, of letting the good and the just and the holy be more and more a part of your life and your community of reconnecting people to each other and to God and of one day sharing eternity Heavenly Father I pray for all of those whose families or friends have labeled them the doubting Thomases, the black sheep of the family. Lord, I pray for those who have earnestly sought You and are trying to live for You with no support from their family and friends because they they just can't see it or un are unwilling to look. And Lord, I pray that we as the body of Christ may be those that bring healing, not hurt. That each and every one of us and our church as a whole be those that so effectively demonstrate and reflect the light of Christ that Others will say of us, you know, I know some of those Christians, it's just, uh, just ridiculous, but you know, if there's one person who has it really, then it's them. If there's one church that has it, then this is one of the churches. Lord, let that be said of us, not for our glory, but for your glory and that others may, in believing, have life in your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.